Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We turn to Acts chapter 11, the passage that Daphne uh, read just a moment ago. And uh, last week we learned of God using the apostle Peter to get the Christians in Jerusalem going, to get them going on mission to the Gentiles up to that point. I mean, there have been plenty of great commission activity Uh, plenty of evangelism and disciple-making happening uh, mostly to the Jewish uh, people. Uh, They have been going here and there. They haven't been going everywhere just yet. They hadn't been going to every one just yet. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, he had done a a transforming work in the life and the heart of Peter, changing his perspective, getting him on board with what God's heart desire was, uh, to see the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ be preached to all nations. Um, People from every nation and tribe and people and language hearing about who Jesus is and what he had done to save us. And when Peter explained to the church and its leaders in Jerusalem about the saving work that God had done among the Gentiles in Cornelius' house there in Caesarea, when Peter was used of God to get the whole group going God's way, it was a very pivotal moment for the church in great commission involvement. And praise the Lord, that just continues. On in our passage that we're going to study together this morning, Uh, the group is going on mission before we study it verse by verse. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, I pray as we uh, study your word now uh, and as we respond to it, I pray that there be a a mighty move of God in our hearts. Um, God, break down anything that would be an obstacle from us understanding this passage. May your Holy Spirit illuminate its truth to us. And may he prod us to respond in any change that we need to make to live a life that's glorifying to you, to to live a life that is Christ-like so that people see Jesus in us. May you hide us in Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, I pray that we be faithful in in fulfilling your great commission, uh, encouraged by what uh, we read here this morning, willing, humble enough to confess anything that we need to confess uh, and commit to to make a change. Empowered by your Holy Spirit, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, the very first thing we see is the mission to the Gentiles furthered here in, in verses 19 to 21. Really, it describes for us a parallel event. I, I understand that this account, it comes right after what we studied together last week, that whole, the last month, that whole Peter and Cornelius saga uh, that's taken up the better part of the last two chapters in Acts. But, but the book of Acts, this historical record of the continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. It isn't always um, chronological. Uh, It's likely that's what's described here in verses 19 to 30. Uh, It was going on concurrently. It was a parallel event to what we've studied in the last few weeks, Peter's evangelistic efforts to the Gentiles. Um, Regardless, what is described here is the mission to the Gentiles being furthered. Uh, It's not just Peter anymore. 
It's not just in the Gentile city of Caesarea. Verses 19 to 30 really describe the whole group of Christians in the city of Jerusalem helping the gospel of Jesus Christ to just explode out of Jerusalem on its way to distant lands and to the people who lived there. In fact, verse 19 takes us way back in the book of Acts, uh, way back to when the deacon Stephen was martyred uh, for his faith by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Let me read it. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Uh, because of the persecution that occurred when Stephen was killed, um, Christians from Jerusalem, they moved to Phoenicia. And they moved uh, to Cyprus, a little island in the Mediterranean Sea. They moved to Antioch. Uh, in, in modern-day Turkey, not the one you ate a couple days ago, the, the country of Turkey. And what do you think happened as a result of Christians moving there because of that persecution? Do you think they hid away in, in silence? No, the end of verse 19, it tells us that they kept obeying the Great Commission. They kept, as you are going, making disciples. Uh, just they did it now where God had sovereignly placed them. But it says that they preached the word to none but the Jews only. But we know over the last few weeks from what we studied in uh, Acts 9 and 10, uh, a big change occurred. And it happened here too, according to verse 20, a big change like happened in the life of Peter and Cornelius, a, a parallel event to that one. Verse 20 says, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So some of the uh, Jewish Christians from Cyprus and, and Cyrene, that's a city on the Mediterranean coast of Africa, um, they started preaching the Lord Jesus to a people that verse 20 calls the Grecians, Gentiles who lived in Antioch with a Greek cultural background as a result of their missionary activity. Verse 21 tells us of a prosperous evangelism. It has been a couple of chapters since we read about something as exciting as what 21 says happened. Look at it. It says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, I don't know of anything that gets me more pumped up than seeing someone get saved. What about you? Seeing someone come to trust Christ as Savior, uh, headed for hell, destined for hell, and, and the Holy Spirit grabbing their heart through the preaching of the gospel, whether that's in a church or whether that's from you sharing uh, something they heard on TV or on the radio, uh, reading God's word, they respond to the gospel and get saved. Uh, here it says, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. That should get us amped up. And that's what happens in heaven, doesn't it? Jesus said in Luke 15, 10, I tell you in the same way there is joy, joy in the presence of God's angel, even over one sinner who repents. But that can only happen when we do what God has commissioned us to do. When the group gets going on mission, at the end of verse 20, it says these men spake to the Grecians, and we know what they spake about or who they spake about. They preached the Lord Jesus, it says. Do you realize that in God's infinite wisdom, uh, he has decided that individuals would be saved through the gospel being shared by you and I? That's his plan. That's his only plan. Uh, he uses human beings filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to tell others about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. People don't get saved any other way. You didn't. You didn't. I want you to think right now about who told you about Jesus. Maybe it was a mom or dad. 
or grandma and grandpa. Maybe it was a, a Sunday school teacher. That's, so far, it was all of that for me. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was all of them combined, and you heard it over and over. And then one day, what happened in your life is what happened according to verse 21. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them. We, we give out the gospel, but we don't save anyone. Uh, yes, someone shared the gospel with you. I know that God used someone to lead you to faith uh, in Christ, but they didn't save you. God did, amen? amen. God did. Uh, the Holy Spirit took that gospel you heard once, maybe twice, maybe, maybe hundreds of times, and in his timing and with your yielded spirit, uh, the hand of the Lord was with them, and the hand of the Lord grabbed you. That's God's involvement in salvation. Revelation 7.10 says salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Our involvement, though, is sharing that fact with others. That salvation from sin and eternal life, it's found only in faith in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Then in verses 22 to 26, I want you to notice the mission to the Gentiles fortified. Please notice their commitment Verses 22 to 24, church, the gospel must be shared for someone to come to faith in Christ, but it cannot end there. We're not fulfilling the Great Commission if that's what happens. My heart breaks because that has been the way most of the church has operated, at least here in America, for decades now. Uh, the simple fact when we read Great Commission passages like this, and, and what I want you to comprehend above all else as we go through the book of Acts here together, maybe God will change um, this perspective and habit in American Christianity, is that fulfilling the Great Commission, it goes so far beyond evangelism. Too often, that's all we, we think about. That is even how we operate. Uh, even if we might be obedient and share the gospel well, with someone uh, and they come to faith in Christ, too often we fail in obeying the entirety of the great commission Jesus gave us by not doing what he told us to do. What did he tell us to do in Matthew 28, 18 to 20? As you are going, make what? Make disciples. Make disciples. Not make converts. Not get someone saved. And Well, good luck. Wish them well on their journey their new life in Christ, do you realize that doing so, it is like giving birth to a child and then just leaving them abandoned without any kind of nurturing or care? So God help us understand this deficit and correct this defect in how we attempt to fill, fulfill the Great Commission. We are to make disciples. Guess what? That's a lifelong process. <laughs> lifelong. Sometimes that is a disappointing or painful process. It's a time-consuming process. They may not progress at the speed that you desire. They might fall back into sin. When that happens, don't abandon them. Don't abandon them. No, with a heart full of the grace of Jesus Christ that we sang about earlier, uh, dispensing the same measure of grace that God has given you, that God's doused you with, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, keep going, keep making disciples. What does that look like? Uh, on a group level, I, I think it looks like Bible studies that go on, um, Sunday school, VBS here, uh, WMU, the Here, There, Everywhere sewing group. Uh, I know you all sew and, and you make things as gifts and offerings. Do you fellowship when you're there together? I'm sure you do. Um, there's so many different things that, are, that our church does. Awana, Amped, Teen Ministry, 
Um, all of these things. Uh, on a personal, individual level, it's, it's you just encouraging each other in the faith from day to day. Maybe a smaller group Bible study. It can be something as simple as you uh, sharing some truth from God's word in, in person or even on, on social media. Those are all, all of those are great commission uh, activities, involvement, because it is all disciple-making opportunities. Verse 22 says that when tidings of these things came to the church in Jerusalem. Now, at this point, that church was, was the main church. It was like the mother church. Uh, it was the ascending church. It says in verse 22 that they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And, and it's right there that we see the commitment of these Christians to fortifying this mission to the Gentiles. The, the ministry of Barnabas, it's described there in verse 23. It says, who when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And then he exhorted them all that with a purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Barnabas saw uh, the grace of God that we sang about earlier, he saw it at work in the lives uh, of these Gentiles who had just received Jesus as their Savior in this new church here in Antioch. And, and it says that he rejoiced over what God was doing here, but then he exhorted. He, he encouraged them to have a purpose in their life, to have a, a strong commitment to, to cleave to Jesus Christ. Barnabas had a ministry to these new Christians of disciple-making of helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, mature in their faith. And then the manner of Barnabas is detailed in verse 24. It says, he was a good man. He's full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Now, this is not the first time we've been introduced to Barnabas in the book of Acts. If you remember, he was the one when... Um, Saul became Paul, uh, and, and, and he got saved, and he eventually went to the church in Jerusalem. It was Barnabas that God used to encourage that new convert, Paul, when the church at Jerusalem wasn't so sure about this former persecutor, now turned preacher. In fact, his name, the name Barnabas, means encourager. And in verse 24, it says he's a good man. He's full, full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of faith. And as a result of his ministry, much people were added unto the Lord. But there's something I want to highlight here that we might not notice if we just go quickly through this section of Scripture. And that's their commitment, the commitment of the Christians in Jerusalem uh, to the Great Commission. Uh, they sent Barnabas here to make disciples. Do you think that would have been a loss for the church in Jerusalem to lose Barnabas? It sure would. I mean, this is the kind of Christian leader that you'd want to have in your church, <laughs> helping your ministry to, to keep going, um, an encourager, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. But we see here the transformation that the church of Jerusalem had, had toward the, the Great Commission and reaching Gentiles. It was powerful enough to make them committed like this to the Great Commission that Jesus gave us. Um, there are people who have left here, and it was hard to see them go. And I'm glad they're serving the Lord in other churches. There are, there are young people that you and I have invested in um, discipling them. And it has been, and it is, and it will be hard to see them go. But what did Jesus call us to do? Go. <laughs> he called us to go. And as we are going, make disciples. And so with mixed emotions, I praise the Lord for those who have gone and, and will go. I mean, there's just a few examples that come to mind, and there's so many. I'm not trying to leave anyone out, but um, like I'm thankful that A.J. Smith is leading teens down in Bladenboro. I am. 
uh, ministering to them. I, I'm thankful um, that Sarah Johnson, she's about to finish her, her nursing education. It's going to be hard to see her go up to Greenville and become a nurse for a few months. But, but I rejoice. Her testimony is that she wants to go to the mission field eventually once she gets a few years of nursing experience under her belt. I mean, isn't that awesome? It really comes down to this. Whose kingdom are we building here? Christ's kingdom, right? Not, not my kingdom, not your kingdom, not a Dublin First Baptist Church kingdom. Christ's kingdom. Listen, if we're not ascending church in some aspect, if we're not a multiplying church, if, we, if you and I, if we just hoard <laughs> the massive gifts that we have in this church, if we do that, um, we won't be committed to the Great Commission like the church in Jerusalem was here. And secondly, we see their co-mission in verses 25 to 26. It was a co-mission uh, to the Gentiles to fortify that mission. There's another important lesson for us here in our Great Commission activity and disciple-making efforts as a church. The Great Commission is a co-mission. If you are faithful in making disciples, there is going to come a point in time when you may have to enlist some assistance. You, you can only take people so far. You can only take people in their relationship with Christ as far as you are, not any further. Uh, they, might be, they might have a need to, to be ministered to someone who's got a spiritual gift that you don't have, or maybe yours isn't fully developed just yet. If that's the case, will you and I, will we be humble enough to get them to someone who can take them closer to the Lord, closer in the relationship with Jesus? That's what Barnabas did in verses 25 and 26. I am sure that he uh, appraised the need of these growing Gentiles, uh, Christians in Antioch, and he said, I know just a guy. <laughs> I, know, I know the one who's going to take them to the next level. After leaving Jerusalem and Caesarea, we found out in earlier chapters of Acts that Paul went home to Tarsus, his hometown, and I've got no doubt he was involved in great commission activity there. I've got no doubt he was growing in his relationship with the Lord, but verse 25 tells us that Barnabas, he went to Tarsus, and in the Greek it says he diligently searched for Paul. And then according to verse 26, he brought him back to the church at Antioch, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul, they taught much people it says, together fulfilling the great co-mission. It's meant to be done together. Can you imagine having those two in your church? Barnabas and Paul? Listen, don't hinder somebody's growth in Christ because you don't want to share them. Be humble enough and loving enough to know when the thing that they might need most is a continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through the gifts the Holy Spirit has given to somebody else in the church. Using the metaphor that Paul does in 1 Corinthians of, of us being the body of Christ, you might be an ear when in order to grow closer to the Lord, they desperately need an eye. You might be a foot when, when to grow in Christ, they need to be discipled by a, a hand. This is a team effort, isn't it? This is a family. It's a co-mission. And the chapter ends with, honestly, one of the most beautiful gospel-driven things I think we have seen thus far in the book of Acts. Uh, the mission to the Gentiles it's so obviously fruitful here in verses 27 to 30. First, we read of an impending, I'm going to use the King James Version description, an impending great dearth. Um, during the early church, before they had all of God's word completed, there were uh, sign gifts present to validate the apostles' gospel message, and one of them was, was prophecy. Uh, verses 27 to 28, it tells us that some Christians who had that spiritual gift, they came up from Jerusalem to the church in Antioch here to prophetically warn them of an upcoming dearth, it says. 
means that there'd be an, there's coming a great famine in the land. And we know from historical records that there are actually a few of them during this time. Uh, when Claudius Caesar was Roman emperor, the land of Israel, Judea, Jerusalem, it was especially impacted. But it's in the last two verses of this chapter that we so clearly see uh, the fruit of these Gentiles coming to know Jesus as their Savior and, and growing in their relationship with Christ through the discipling of Barnabas and Paul. Uh, they had a graceful determination. Verse 29 says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, it's talking about the ones at the church in Antioch, they determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, so to the church in Jerusalem. And we find out in verse 30, they, they didn't just determine to do it. It wasn't just a good idea or a good desire. They did it, and they sent it down there uh, by the hands of Barnabas and Paul. What an evidence, both of a relationship with Jesus Christ and a maturing in their relationship from being discipled. They gave sacrificially. They were generous. It says they sent relief to their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in need. And that sacrificial generosity is such a clear mark of, a, of people whose entire lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. You know, in the slides that were going before the service, um, you saw just one way that our church family here together has sent relief to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Moldova, who are in desperate need. Isn't that a joy? I mean, my heart was literally filled with joy when I got to see those uh, earlier this week and to see them this morning. I mean, here, yes, these Gentile Christians in the church at Antioch, they clearly loved, just like Jesus. And they were kind, just like Jesus. But it was all the more remarkable. It's, it's graceful when we consider who they were and who they were sacrificially sending relief to, isn't it? Think about it for a minute. They were sending relief to a people, to a church, who were ethnically and culturally very different than they were, to a church full of people who until the last few chapters didn't care much for them, to a church full of people who actually called them names, <laughs> like unclean. <laughs> they would even refuse to associate with them. They wouldn't eat with them. That's pretty graceful, isn't it, what they did here? And it's that kind of grace, not just in thoughts or, or, action, or in words, but, but in actions like they have here. It is beautifully clear evidence that they have been truly saved, that they have been transformed by Jesus Christ. I wonder how many Christians struggle with an assurance of their salvation because they refuse to be full of grace like these Christians in Antioch were, uh, refusing to be full of grace toward others like this, people who are undeserving maybe by our own estimation. To those who have wronged us, you understand that being full of grace to others like these Gentile believers were to the Christians in Jerusalem, it is such a mark of being saved that Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. I mean, if we're going to grow in our relationship with the Lord, if we're going to be obedient to his great commission, we had better not forget the words of our Savior to his followers in Luke 6.38. With what measure you use, it'll be measured to you. There's a lot in these 12 verses, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot going on. Uh, an awesome testimony 
of what happens when the whole group gets going on mission. People get saved. I want you to think, can you look back to a time in your life when you repented of your sins and you trusted only in who Jesus Christ is, what he had done for you, confessing your sins in prayer to God, telling him, I trust in Christ alone to save me from my sins. If you can't, do that today. I mean, even as I'm speaking, Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in faith, do that even right now. If you've got questions about what that means, please come talk to me, text me, call me. Um, we have learned together this morning of the importance of fulfilling the Great Commission by making disciples together. And maybe you are here this morning and, and that hasn't been happening. You haven't been involved in that. Well, change. Change that. And we need to address this last part uh, about being full of grace. It starts with a heart change. And that needs to happen here in this congregation this morning, but it, it can't stop there. If we're going to be full of grace just like they were, and like our Lord has been and is to us, a change in how we think and how we view, how we talk to, how we love, how we serve others, that needs to happen too. And you might say, I, I can't. Yes, you can. You can. You have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living in you. He changed Peter. <laughs> he can change you. This really isn't a can or a can't situation. It's, a, it's an I will or I won't. Don't let your refusal to be graceful to others, and especially other believers, don't let that refusal be, be a veil that, that obscures the glory of Christ being reflected in you and Christ working through you. I mean, how are you going to share the gospel of grace with someone when you refuse to give grace to somebody else? And you might say, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You, you don't know how I've been wronged. Well, I may or I may not. For some of you, I do because you've told me, but I know this. Ain't nobody wronged you or me like we've wronged Jesus, like we've wronged God. And, and, and we relish in, and praise the Lord, we're refreshed by the waterfall of grace that God cleanses us with in Jesus Christ. But then far too often, we dole out grace in like teaspoon level amounts, if we're willing to do it at all. Or we might make them jump through some hoops first or offer us some proof of deserving it, I'm so glad Jesus didn't make me do that. Please know I'm not preaching to anybody specifically. There's nothing in my mind that's spurred this. Um, I know some of your hurts, and I know the hurdle that being graceful is, but I also know that Dublin First Baptist Church together, uh, or as individual components of it, we will not be able to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. We will not be able to make disciples without following the example of the church here in Antioch. Pastor Tommy, come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word. It starts in the heart. And who will let God have theirs today? May God lead us, move us to be graceful and to be humble enough to get our group going on mission God's way.